This is the Job Stories Podcast, how people find work that matters. Christo, so this is the Job Story Podcast. So thank you so much for coming on. I've loved getting to know you over the last few months. Here's how we start off um, each episode. So if you don't mind, do you care to just introduce yourself real quickly? And what is your job now? What do you currently do for work? Yeah, thank you, Mason. It's been such a joy getting to know you as well. And like we were just talking about before this, um, getting to see you in person for the first time. Ironically, um, well, not, I mean, for the first time, I guess like the third time, I want to say. Totally. Was it third or something? Anyways, because we had seen each other just like, once or twice, but yeah, uh, totally. but yeah, in like a different uh, environment. It's so cool. Right. Uh, yeah, it's uh yeah it's been it's been a joy getting to know you and carly so thank you for having me on um yeah what do i do i mean i'm really passionate about human capital i'm passionate about people living to their full potential and so my journey has been like really uh circuitous in one sense and and non-linear in that i came out of high school wanting to like not study math uh any further and then uh, then going into two PhD programs in economics and in engineering and having studied math a little bit more after mm-hmm. that. Uh, but it was uh, one lesson learned is just like not to be intimidated by uh, things that uh, you, I mean, like sometimes we have this uh, boogeyman version of something that we just don't know. Mm-hmm. And then once you start dabbling a little bit with it, you're like, oh yeah, it's like doable. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, yeah, my journey has been just pursuing um an expression of creativity through research and through writing and through um, just like understanding more about the world, particularly around human capital. But that's all like, I guess, really abstract. So practically speaking, um, what do I do? Um, one of my my core startups is a living opera with uh, Sula Parasidis and Norman Reinhardt. And uh, we're building classical music NFTs on the blockchain and we're a multimedia company. Uh, my other startup called Dynamic, that's an AI and fintech uh, company that's trying to help small and mid-sized banks deal with regulatory compliance issues and building out a product um, where they can just log into a dashboard and get access to the sort of information that normally you would have to hire consultants and pay an exorbitant amount to do. Uh, And then beyond that is my academic work and the affiliations and academic appointments that I have through a couple of universities um, and teaching, uh, teaching a token economics class, and then some advising work that I do on something called the National AI Institute in the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, at the National AI Institute. And uh, so it's a little bit of entrepreneurship, a little bit of research, and a little bit of uh, policy advising. But um, I will say my last thing in this monologue will just be saying that my views here don't represent any uh, views of the federal government or affiliated institutions and so on. Cool. That's you're you're just you're a busy person. I mean, you're a busy man. It's I love kind of getting to watch you uh, through LinkedIn and then through Nashville and stuff like that. But you said something that I already want to touch on real quick. Um, you talked about like kind of the unknown, how daunting that can be. That's what podcasting was for us. Yeah. And then we just started doing it and then it just became this thing that we loved. And, um, I mean, selfishly it's been good for business and it's been yeah. a lot of fun for me to meet new people. So yeah. Do you mind to talk about a little bit that more in your own path, in your own work journey? Like this idea yeah. of like maybe just kind of going for it. Maybe that's more yeah. of the entrepreneurial side for you. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you shared about what, what you just shared about podcasting being that for you, because 
you can look at something like for like we can look at something now and be like, how was I worried or scared about this? And it's like actually quite simple. And you look at how many people get into podcasting that don't don't really have like a clue. They don't know about anything about like the subject area. And it's like if they can do it. Like how much more should you be able to do it? Um, which is like you have a lot of content. You've talked to a lot of people and, and that sort of thing. And you've got a plan of people to interview and all that. So uh, it doesn't need to be a rational fear. And in fact, like fear generally isn't rational. Uh, or it's it's just not so i just always say um discovery and uh and and shining a light on something light is always the answer and um it doesn't need to be something like you know sometimes i'm going to go in a little bit of a detour and then come back to the uh direct answer but sometimes um like the the uncertainty isn't something that's like 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 some explicitly bad phenomenon like uh I don't know. I'm just going to take the most extreme example, like human trafficking or something like that. That's extremely bad. There is fear involved in that because of just like, like just the gravity of things that people go through. Sure. But then there's all these other situations that we normalize in our lives because mm -hmm. they aren't so bad. Totally. We live with fear. We live as an intimidation in whatever small crevice of our world. And so I think what we all need to do is like bring light to whatever that crevice is. And it doesn't need to wear a as ugly of a face as something like human trafficking, it can just be like, oh, I'm afraid of like learning a new language. I'm afraid of whatever. And so anyways, I don't want to beat that issue too much. But um, coming back to, uh, I guess, um, this this issue of uh, kind of creativity and in, in my journey and my walk, you were asking a little bit about like how I guess I got into um, some of it. Um, what would say one more no, time? Like you, you nailed it. And I want to go back to that last point you just had, cause I really like that. Cause like I have found myself lately, there'll be people that'll ask like, just barely even mention podcasting and I'm like, go for it. So it's almost like you mentioned kind of like shedding light on these things that are maybe a little daunting yeah. to folks. Yeah. I, I'm finding that I just want to be a cheerleader now for people that just want to do it. I'm like, yeah. well, you should do it. Cause like my yeah. experience starting out was like, ah, I don't know about this. And then we just started doing it and I loved it. So now I just yeah. want to cheer people on that want to do it. I, I, you've probably seen that too in your path. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, like, uh, one example that comes up in, in my orbit is like people asking about doing a PhD and like whether that's worth it and all that. And I, I think there are neat, there's a fine line between, um, you don't want to just like always be uh, like a yes, like you want to give thoughtful feedback. And mm. so in certain cases, there are questions that somebody just needs to ask before they make a decision. They need to count the cost. And so in the case of like a PhD, you are devoting a substantial portion of your life. I mean, usually like the average now is about six years and that is your commitment during those six years. So um, I, I guess what I would say is like, there's a difference between um, just like asking thoughtful questions, but not like just encouraging somebody, but just like, mm. here's what you want to have answers to in order to feel comfortable saying yes, because you can say yes blindly. And then there's still part of you that's uncertain because you're still like, did I say yes for the right reasons? And then you get into it and then you're kind of tossing and turning with yourself. And that's true. Like every situation, it could be like, you're thinking about getting married you're thinking about taking a new job. You have to ask those right questions. And I think true friendship, true counsel is knowing what questions to ask. Mm. And I just, well, one answer that I'll share is um, that what set me on doing a PhD was actually a question, a very simple question that uh, one of my macroeconomics professors uh, asked me, uh, Matthew Croucher, a wonderful Brit with a beautiful accent um, that was teaching me macro one. And uh, he asked me,
me after because I was like asking him questions and inquisitive, staying after class, that sort of stuff. And it was it was a big lecture class, it was like 200 and something people. And so uh, there's not I mean, not as many people stay asking questions after as maybe you would expect. And so uh, he was like, have you thought about like doing a Ph.D. to like really uncover these questions a little bit more? And at that time I hadn't. And so that's really that question shifted my trajectory because now I started thinking about things from a different perspective. So. Mm. Yeah, I think questions can sometimes lead somebody down the right path more so than saying like, you should do this or you should do that. Yeah, that's great. And we have a lot of like founders. I love that thought. And a lot of founders or entrepreneurs or whatever on this podcast and continual learning is kind of always a concept. So that kind of reminded me why you were talking too. I mean, I find you and I, you know, we've gotten to know each other through the Nashville kind of blockchain and Web3 space and that's been a big like learning curve for me. I mean, in the last year, right? So I find myself kind of going back into this like continual learning um, cycle. Has that been the same for you too, I'd I'd imagine? Oh my gosh. Well, you know what happens among a lot of faculty is that you spend so much time ingesting new information in the first two years in particular. The first two years of a doctoral program are usually when you're just taking classes. And one of the challenges with that is it sets up this dichotomy that that there's a portion, there's a time when you take classes and a time when you produce research. Mm. But like producing research should be an opportunity to also learn new things. But what happens in the academy is that people learn something and then they stick with those base skills for a lot, unfortunately, like their entire career, mm-hmm. especially if they get tenure after like the first six years of them being outside of their, uh, like after they go to an assistant professorship, they get tenure after six to eight years. And then uh, then they're just like, they're using the same regression techniques that they always use instead of learning new things. And so I think, um, yeah, being willing to learn new things is, is really important, but it's easier to say that than to actually do it. And one of the things that I struggle with is, um, the trade-off between like learning something new and then spending the time doing things that you already know how to do. And so for me, like one of, this is just a personal thing I struggle with is, is around like time is so scarce that it's like, okay, I could spend my time being a novice learning something new, or I have like all these, all, all these uh, fields that I could continue cultivating in without learning something new, but like you're, you're learning something you're always, you can always learn something new. There's marginal improvements, but you're not like picking up a new language per se. Yeah. So that's the trade-off that it's just a constant, you have to constantly grapple with and be like, is this important enough that I need to learn something wholesale new versus you're making marginal improvements in an area that you're already kind of tilling on. And that's just something that you have to evaluate. Like what are the different constraints of my time? What are the different opportunities and yes. how badly do I want it? That sort of thing. No, you're right. Yeah. That's so spot on. Cause yeah, there's some things where I'm like, man, I want to learn that. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I should evaluate if I need to. Yeah. Right you know what? Is that move yeah. the needle for you? You want to yeah. dig deep to like what the what the origin of that desire is. Yeah. Because I, I, uh, I mean, a lot of people that are like, I, w- I wish I could do a PhD. And it's like, mm, do you really wish you could do a PhD? Yeah. Or is it just like, you kind of like want a title or something like that. I don't know. I mean, sometimes people want, or like maybe there's somebody in their family that like got it. And you always looked at that and be like, Oh, I kind of wished I had one too. So you want to understand the origin of it. And then because that's when you get to diagnose like your true calling, your true purpose. What do you really want? And a lot of times in school, people are not in school in companies. Um, there's not this like self-reflective period of like, what do I really want? What, what was my real calling? What am I uniquely designed to do? 
So yeah, uncovering the origin of those desires and seeing yeah. whether they're fleeting or, or permanent is really important. Yeah, totally. I want to um, get on to some living opera stuff if that's okay. Cause I, I, yes, I know it's just, you're so passionate about it, And that's how I met you honestly is through the yeah. Nashville community. T- let's, I know the story, but let, let's, let's get it on the air here. Like how did, kind of, how did it come about? Like, and what's, where are y'all headed? I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So uh, the genesis of living opera is that Sula Parasitis and Norman Reinhardt have been uh, performing across the world uh, opera for, mm-hmm. for many years. And they had seen so many uh, singers that were really just struggling with their with their careers. And it could be somebody that just got their bachelor's and is trying to launch a career. It could be somebody mid-career that's just trying to keep up because it is a very grueling life. It is extreme sports without the $100 million contracts that, I mean, people in the NBA get or, or MLB totally. or whatever it might be. And so you're just going from place to place. And so they created an arts entrepreneurship curricula called Beyond Your Big Break. And so when I met them, I, I was like, this is really cool because I care deeply about higher education. I care people about reaching their full potential. And so um, I was like, this is a cool ed tech company. And I come in alongside that and helping grow that. But then also realizing that the challenge in the arts is actually a lot deeper than just a content problem, because what educational curricula is solving is a content problem a knowledge gap. But what we have in the arts is a structural challenge with remuneration around incentives. And so you can create all the content that you want, but if you're not changing the way that artists are uh, remunerated and the way that they're incentivized to create new content, then they can have all the knowledge here. And, and which, I mean, getting that knowledge in here is, is hugely important, but it's also the underlying foundation that they're building off of. So um, I presented at NFT NYC and I was getting into NFTs back in, uh, starting in, in February of, of 2020, actually right around, I guess, when the, the pandemic was starting. And so I wrote a white paper about um, NFTs for content creators and then thinking about what we were doing and living opera I was like nfts could could really apply here and so uh we went to new york for nft nyc um and then uh, i remember we were sitting in a talk with um, busta rhymes and so he was like talking about how he's going 100 percent into nfts and so um still and i were just like looking at each other i mean like wow this is i mean we we we're not um particularly into like that genre of music but it's somebody at that like level of caliber and, and yeah. uh, salience um, is is going public with that, then there has to be something there. And then we went to our Basel, um, I guess like a month or something later in, in um, yeah, November of 2021 uh, or whenever it was. And uh, then it just kind of confirmed it even more so that there is something here. And that was, I mean, obviously during like a lot of the uh, peak time when like people were just buying PFPs and making a lot of money. So one thing that always seemed odd to us was like, how on earth are some of these PFPs like actually trading for this much money and now we see and there was a there's a quote in the article that i'm releasing um shortly about uh like gary saying like i might i mean you remember when you were there when you were there in the talk he was like i i my, i've been consistent it's like 99 percent of the nfts are going to go to zero but uh we need this because there's been a lot of uh flat fat in the market and um so so yeah that's a little bit about the origin story around how we got onto nfts and living opera and then what was kind of end on here is is what we're really excited about is 
We don't want to be an organization that just speaks like fancy words and good words about NFTs. We, we want to actually be able to do it. We want to tell people, here's what we learned um, doing it ourselves. Here's the mistakes that we made. Here are the questions that you want to ask developers. And when you're vetting them, here's the way that you go about marketing. Because there's no shortage of opinions in this space. You'll get people that are like, oh, yeah, you should like hire these influencers and pay them a lot of money and retweet your stuff. And it's like, uh, well, first of all, I don't know if that's like exactly legal to like pay them. I think it, I mean, I know that there's obviously a market around influencer marketing and all that. So there's probably ways to make it legal, but also it's like, what, what community are you driving towards? Right. And do, are you trying to get people that just buy the NFT and then they're out like six months later? Are you trying to get people for us, Magic Mozart? This is a Magic Mozart NFT, um, which is, well, small parentheses here. Magic Mozart is an endeavor to decentralize grant making. We want to provide opportunities for micro philanthropists to sow into the lives of individual artists. And simultaneously, we want artists to be equipped with arts entrepreneurship curricula. So the way that it works is that an artist takes to uh, Beyond Your Big Break and our arts entrepreneur certificate they get that digital certificate on their wallet then they become eligible to make a proposal on the living arts foundation dow which we are just submitting the paperwork to make that a nonprofit. Cool. once they submit that proposal then a magic mozart holder of which could be this then will vote on the proposal and say yes or no and then once that gets funded the money gets released instantaneously there's not some like six month period and then they get to journey together the micro philanthropist with the artist anyways so that was a small side but just to wrap up that thought was that we want to cultivate a community that is very passionate about um, about in this in the case of Magic Mozart around arts philanthropy and changing up that process from the way that it's normally done, where a philanthropist just gives like however much money, walks away, done. You get your write off, you get your your tax uh, bill reduced a little bit. We want to create a um, kind of like. A pair, a pairing between the artists and microphilanthropists. So, so in short, um, yeah, I mean that's kind of where we're going is to build out multimedia NFT collections. Um, we're doing more that are around actual classical music because Magic Mozart, while it's classical in nature, it was more a combination of digital art and a replica of a dice game that Mozart had created. But for the Vazen Doc Leader or the Dream Girl NFT collection that Sula and Norman and I are going to be releasing, that is actually just a really beautiful twenty minutes of singing that Sula did at Ocean Way and Norman directing and. Uh, I'm just uh, excited to be able to listen to it as I like fall asleep every night or something like that. And uh, people can listen to you to relax. So anyway, sorry for the uh, long story there. No, that's why you're on here. We wanted to hear it. So to preface for this podcast, we'll have Sula on later, but she's like a world renowned um, opera singer and uh, just fantastic. So we'll just to clarify. Um, Yeah, we'll have her on later. But I, I love this idea about supporting artists in that way. I mean, I'm married to a singer, so I know... I mean, I, I know how difficult it can be because it's it truly is entrepreneurship, right? But it's like it's hard to think of it that way for artists sometimes because they are artists and creative or whatever. Like it it feels way different, like as me building a business, right, than her building a music career. For some reason, it's very it's it's hard, right? It's yeah. really hard for artists. Like she'll do gigs and then that money will pay rent and like just hope that another gig comes. Do you know? Right. So I, mean, I love that y'all are supporting. Yeah, 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 no, definitely. And so uh, this one last thought on that is like, I I think sometimes we accept like this is the way that the market is going to work. And we just assume that that's like the law of gravity in that sector. But really everything, I mean, so many things come down to incentives. And so the way that this market used to work 
used to be there were like really wealthy benefactors that believed in the importance of like say classical music and what we've gotten away from in in many countries not just the united states um has been around where the individuals that that see the potential of something then so into it and that creates like a very fertile ground where now an artist will be training under somebody in a sort of apprenticeship and then they have that stability that's also different than how in, in academia like in right now in academia there's not much mentorship you get your phd you go on the market you kind of have to fend for yourself so i think a lot of times across markets there is this slow uh change that happens and the change isn't always bad in this case we, i would probably argue that it's not great uh and that things need to change otherwise it implodes but um yeah i mean like don't accept the way that things always are and we have to understand we have to understand history though to understand why we are here um, it's just not like it was always this way. So understand yeah. the genealogy of it. Well, that's, that's what's so beautiful. I think about what y'all are doing, what I was drawn to initially when we first met a few months back, but it's this idea like, like web three of blockchain technology is this new, really slick, really cool, um, technology. Right. But y'all are implementing such a, like a historical thing in classical music. Yeah. You know, I just yeah. love that y'all are drawing, you're marrying those worlds. Sure. Right. Cause you don't think yeah. of like a, a real, like um, new hip technology, you don't think of classical music adopting that, right? But I just love that yeah. y'all are marrying these like historical, Definitely. you know. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing really when you think about like what is new, what is truly new. It's like actually, I mean, I would challenge anyone to tell me like what is truly new. The origin of something always has a seed in something that came before. Mm -hmm. There really isn't anything totally new under the sun. And so I, I think that, uh, I mean, that that the reason why this is important and not just like some theoretical thing that's like cool to debate about is that that changes the way that an entrepreneur thinks if there's nothing completely new then the responsibility is on us to arrange and to identify the different inputs and resources that exist in front of us and to assemble them like a creator assemble like i was really into legos when i was growing up and so you would like take these lego pieces so lego pieces are out there now let's assemble it into something beautiful versus like I have to wait until some totally new invention comes upon my mind. It's a very different mandate and it takes a little bit of the pressure off as well. That's so good. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I haven't heard that concept yet quite about entrepreneurship yet on this podcast. That's yeah. good, Christos. Got to make love, an NFT of it and get it on the blockchain. Yeah, now there you <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hey, this has been awesome. So I always thank you again for coming on. I love hearing your story. Thanks for sharing. Um, a little bit about living opera and all, everything else you're into. I always like to do this. I mean, you're a passionate person, so this may be a hard one for you to answer because there's a lot of things that you might think of, but I always like to ask guests. Professionally, personally, it doesn't matter. What is exciting for you coming up? What are you excited about that's on the horizon for you? Well, I think um, I'd probably say, oh, there's there's so many things. Um, I want to give like a three-part answer, I mean, but uh, okay. On. Okay. So one thing on the kind of research side that I'm excited about is um, I feel like I now understand a lot more how uh, the peer review process and just like the process of creating and institutionalizing knowledge works because I would, oh, I mean, so, so for those that are listening, uh, academia is like 
boy there's there's a lot to say about it but like basically the top journals have like a 99 rejection rate you pay a lot of money to submit so you pay to submit you're not getting paid to publish there and then um it goes to referees and it can be accepted or rejected and i feel like now a lot more is clicking around how this uh sphere works and i've also been developing just deeper relationships with the people that i know i want to be doing more research with and the issues that i want to be researching because back five years ago although i have now this really large portfolio of publications there are certain issues now that i'm like okay this was a neat idea but i don't think it's it's something that i want to spend like necessarily my life doing more research on so i'm doing more work with with faculty that i uh like working with and on the issues that i think are, are deeply important a second thing that i'm really excited about is uh for sula's debut in athens when we go uh there the rehearsals are starting around uh, february and then norman's going to valencia so this will be exciting um, for me because i haven't been to greece since i was a child oh. and so i I don't really have any um like I don't have like a fantastic concept of what it actually is like, even though Sula is a Greek citizen and has been there um, be before, I think, uh, a couple of years ago and, and to get that citizenship. Um, so I'm excited to see her uh, perform uh, live in the Maria College Theater. Uh, and I'm excited to be there myself and to be lecturing at the Athens uh, University of Economics and Business and uh, doing a lot of things like that. And then third, I'm excited with Dynamic that we're um, basically uh, on stealth-ish right now where um, obviously people will listen to um, this podcast and learn about Dynamic, but I'm excited to tell the story behind Dynamic a little bit more. And the snippet that I'll just share here is that it's been on my heart for a long time um, to help smaller and mid-sized companies uh, get access to the computational firepower uh, to do dynamic modeling. And it, it's, it, it's, it sounds maybe a little bit silly, but like, well, actually, so the reality is, is that most of the models that are out there, like most models that are out there are actually really bad. Mm -hmm. They're like, if you actually use them to make decisions, which, I mean, this is what the CBO and the Fed and a lot of big institutions do, like you see that they miss the mark massively. And models don't always need to be exactly right. Models can be very useful for just understanding the world, even if quantitatively their exact predictions are not right. Mm -hmm. But when you're using them to make very specific decisions about like the labor market, what's going to happen? How much debt should the government have? How much debt are we going to have if we don't do anything different? Like things like that, then organizations can get into challenging waters. And as a result of not having great dynamic models, sometimes organizations don't undertake investments that would actually be uh, life-saving for the company mm. um, because in the short run, they look bad, even in dynamically, they would actually be good. And so I'm excited to start working with two client banks around um, this sort of modeling, particularly around uh, modeling the state of the economy, incorporating local information instead of just deferring to national forecasts. Because what's happening in Tennessee can be very different than what's happening nationally. And unfortunately, a lot of the models that are out there are generating national forecasts, not local, state level, metro level, county level forecasts. So uh, those are uh, three things that I'm super psyched about. Heck yeah, I'm rooting you on for all of them. That's awesome. <laughs> now I'm pumped. I'm just pumped for you. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm yeah. glad to know you. I know we, we got to know each other in Nashville here. So I'm so th another reason I'm just so thankful for Nashville, right? I mean, it just, it does yeah. sound so good at bringing all of us together. Um, and I, I'm glad I know you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time. This has been fantastic. I appreciate you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Mason. And uh, I hope that this is useful for those that are listening and uh, meeting.
meet other people that listen to this as well. Thank yeah, you. No doubt about it. Appreciate you. Have a good day. We'll see you soon.